You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Welcome. Day after Christmas, here we are. December 26th, Sunday. I don't know why. 9.27 a.m., 9.28 a.m. I don't know why I'm telling you where you're at and when you're at, but here we are. Uh, my name's Houston. I'm the church planning resident here at The Vine. Um, and I'm here to talk to you about December 26th, day after Christmas. Talking about uh, Advent. We've been in Advent for the last three weeks at The Vine. And for Advent, Advent this year, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew. You know, we spent three years in the Gospel of Matthew, and we thought that we did not get enough of it, and so we wanted to spend three more weeks in Matthew. Uh, and if you didn't like that, I'm sorry. If you did like it, you're welcome. Uh, for, for our Advent series, we looked at the Gospel of Matthew, at the birth narrative of Jesus, and the birth stories of Jesus, and we looked specifically at the ways that Matthew connected Jesus' birth to the Old Testament, and the prophecies that he fulfilled, and the ways that Jesus was what was promised. And so the first week, three weeks ago, James Garcia preached about how Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He talked about how God's promise to his people in the Old Testament was that he would come and save them, and that he would live with them, and that he would be Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then the second week, James Davenport, two weeks ago, preached about how Jesus was Israel's hope, and not just Israel's hope, but the whole world's hope. And he said that when we look at the story of Jesus' birth, We can see that we can respond to God and to suffering with trust still, even when everything is falling apart. And then last week, for our last week of Advent together, David Jordan preached about Jesus being uh, the king that Israel had been waiting for. And then ultimately, he's the king that the whole world has been waiting for, and that Jesus alone is the king who can rule over the kingdom of peace that we long for. So for the past three weeks, we've been in the season of Advent. We thought back before Jesus was born and put our minds in that space of waiting for him because we believe that when he came, his life, death, and resurrection changed everything. And we also believe that we know, rather, that Jesus promised he would come again. And so that like James Garcia preached, We believe that he will live with us, not just for 30 years or so, but forever. And we know that just like James Davenport preached, we hope that one day God will take all the suffering and the brokenness in the world and in our lives and he'll work it all together into something beautiful and good and we'll no longer experience that pain. And we know that when he comes, that he will bring in that kingdom of peace that David Jordan preached about. He will be our king, the perfect king, and that his kingdom will have no end. So we had a powerful run-up to Christmas, and on Friday we had a great, beautiful Christmas Eve service. And yesterday, people all over the world celebrated the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. And so here we are, the day after Christmas, December 26th. And for me, a question hangs in the air. Now what? 
Now what? What do we do? What do we talk about now that Jesus has come? Now that we're done celebrating Jesus' birth, where do we go from here? Well, next week, at the start of the new year, we're going to start a new series in Zephaniah. We're really excited about it. We think it's going to be an awesome short journey through a prophetic book of the Old Testament. But before we go there, we have one last thing to kind of tie up Advent this year. Like I said, we've been looking at all the ways that Matthew quoted the Old Testament to talk about Jesus' birth. But for today, we're going to shift our focus past Jesus' birth, and we're going to talk about uh, something different. And in fact, this reference today is not about Jesus, not directly about Jesus. We're going to look at Matthew 3, and this is the first passage in the book of Matthew after Jesus' birth story. This is the first passage after Jesus grew up, and it feels appropriate today, on the day after Christmas, to talk about the first passage after the Christmas story. And it feels appropriate to say to ourselves, now that we've celebrated Jesus' birth, now that we've celebrated Christmas, now that it's over, now what? So to answer that question, we're going to look at this first passage after the Christmas story, and it's Matthew 3, 1 through 3. And it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus' earthly ministry, and he has a clear message here. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And Matthew tells us that John the Baptist is the one being talked about in Isaiah 40. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so today we're going to spend time in Isaiah 40. We're going to listen to the voices calling out from there, and we're going to see three things in our time in Isaiah today. We're going to hear three things. We're going to hear a message of hope, in the wilderness. We're going to hear a call to repentance. And we're going to hear again the good news of Jesus. And all throughout, we're going to see what this means for us today. So would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for everything you give us. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to us, that you are God with us, Emmanuel. We thank you that you are a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, that all the hope that we have because you've come the first time leads us to live a life preparing and waiting for you to come the second time. We pray, Lord, that we could be people who expect and hope and wait for your return, King Jesus. And uh, we join in with the church all throughout history and we say, King Jesus, come soon. We thank you, Lord, for this day in your word. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so first thing I want to do is I want to talk about the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah was a book, or Isaiah was a book as a collection of poems, prophetic poems, from a man named Isaiah. You got it. 
Uh, and he lived in Jerusalem about six to seven hundred years before Jesus. And Isaiah had a lot of different messages for Israel, for Jerusalem in particular. A lot of different themes carried throughout his prophetic work. You know, he warned people, the people of Israel, that there was judgment coming. That there was a day coming when the Lord would uh, return their covenant unfaithfulness in exile. That the consequences for what they had done would be that another kingdom, Babylon, would come and take them. Take them captive. But the second thing that Isaiah talked about was that this was not the end of the story. That God would come and set them free from their captivity and that he would save them. And so these themes are developed throughout the book of Isaiah, especially for the first 39 chapters. And then right at the end of Isaiah 39, he predicts Jerusalem will be defeated by Babylon and that the people will go into exile. Basically, Jerusalem is going to be wiped out. And so it's against this backdrop, this is the last word, that we read this in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the idea here is that we're looking ahead. We're looking ahead to when the exile that Isaiah had just predicted is going to be over. So the Lord says, comfort. Comfort his people. Speak tenderly to them because they have really gone through it. In fact, they've received their proper punishment. It says um, that they have received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, Exodus 22.9 says that a man must pay double for any trespass done. And so that's the idea, is that, that they have paid their due punishment. And so now the Lord wants his people to be comforted. He wants them to know that their time of conflict is over. The time of warfare is ended. And, and it's like this picture of a, of a parent comforting their child after disciplining them. But it's not just a message of comfort. It's a message of hope. Because there's hope that when the punishment is over, when this time of exile is over, that there will be a time of reconciliation and returning home. And so the idea is that, you know, Isaiah is predicting this exile. And so people are going to read this book and they're going to say, okay, now we are in exile. What do we do? And they read Isaiah 40. And they see that the promise is that this exile will not last forever that one day they will be able to return home. One day that their warfare, their struggling, and their toil will be over. This passage in Isaiah promises those who are in exile that there is a day coming when God himself will come to comfort his people. A day when their warfare will end. A day when all of their sins and trespasses will be paid for in full measure. And so here we, we start to see how this points to Jesus and John the Baptist, right? This is where they come into the equation. Six to seven hundred years later, John the Baptist was in Judea, the land around Jerusalem. And he understood what it meant to be in exile. See, the, the, the Jewish people, they lived in their, their own land, 
But that didn't mean they weren't still in exile. They felt, they felt the exile still, because really, one nation after another had, had ruled over them. One people group after another had conquered them and enslaved them in some way. You know, in the first century, when we read in Matthew, it was Rome. But Rome was just another in a series of conquerors that had kicked down the door and taken over. And so when John the Baptist comes out on the scene, he's this voice in the wilderness, and he's preaching a message of repentance. He's saying that the, the Jewish people, the God's covenant people, need to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because of the time when God will deliver them from exile is at hand. And so Matthew's drawing our attention back to the passage in Isaiah 40. He wants us to see that this promise of the day when God will come to his people and fix things has come. And the person preparing the way is John the Baptist. And in fact, Matthew quotes that next passage in Isaiah to talk about how John fits into the story. And I'm going to read that from Isaiah. Isaiah 43 through 5. It says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become a plain, shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So that voice crying out in the wilderness is John the Baptist. And he's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is, is get ready, God is coming. He's saying that the way to do that, the way to prepare the way of the Lord, is to repent. This is what the imagery in Isaiah 40, verse 3 means. It says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway. All of these terms refer to kind of a living the right way, a focusing the right way, a walking the right way. See, the Bible often talks about our lives as a sort of path that we're on, that we walk this path. And what kind of path are you going to walk? And what kind of path we walk on is like what kind of life are we living? So when Isaiah says, make straight the highway of our God, he's saying, put yourselves on the pathway to God. Put ourselves on the path to God, the straight and narrow. And so what in the world does that have to do with us today? Madison, Wisconsin, some 2,000 plus years later. Well, here we are, the day after celebrating when Jesus came the first time, and now we look ahead. We look ahead to the promise that Jesus made when he was here, that he will come again. But we don't know when that will happen. No one knows the day or the hour that the Son of Man will return, Jesus said. And so what we do is in this time we wait. We know he's coming. But we don't know when, so we wait. And in a way, we're kind of like John the Baptist in this. See, if you think about it, John the Baptist, he was one of the few people, maybe the only person who understood that Jesus was coming the first time. 
He was maybe one of the only people who had a picture that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was coming to deliver his people. And I think in John we see a picture of what it looks like for us to be a people who know that Jesus is returning. And I think it's like John going to people and saying, essentially, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that's important. We believe that the kingdom of heaven has come near. See, with, we believe that when Jesus came to earth, that the kingdom of heaven had come near because born to us was the king of heaven. And we also believe that the kingdom of heaven has come near because when Jesus died and rose again, he established for himself a new people. And that these people would be the citizens of that kingdom of heaven living here on earth. And we also believe that the Holy Spirit that lives within us, the citizens of that kingdom, is the seal of the promise that we are His, that we are His people, and that one day He will come again for us and establish His kingdom here. And so here we are. We live in this time where we know the truth, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not only that, we know that Jesus will return again, that when he returns, it will not be as a baby born in a stable. He's going to come in all of his glory. He's going to make all things new. And so knowing what we know, it would make sense that we would be people who preach a similar message of repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We want to tell people that the kingdom of heaven has come near because God himself was not satisfied being far off, but came to us in the form of Jesus. We want to tell people that all the sins and the brokenness of the world that we see, all the sin and brokenness in ourselves, have been dealt with when Jesus died and rose again. And we want to tell people that we have hope for new life, for transformation internally, real transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that not only do we have transformed lives now, but we wait eagerly for a day when Jesus will return and he will fix us perfectly and completely. And that he will bring true justice to the world. And that he will make all things new. We want to be those voices crying out in the wilderness of this world saying, prepare the way for King Jesus. We, we want to be the voices of those who cry out from the suffering and pain, the desert of this life, and say, make straight the highway for Jesus our Lord. And all of these things we want to be pointing to Jesus. And John knew that. He knew that well. In Matthew 3, 11 through 12, and some people would ask John, you know, who are you? What are you about? And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, 
and he will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So like John, there is someone coming whose sandals we're not worthy to carry. Where we baptize with water, because he commanded us to, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with a purifying fire. John is saying that there's a day coming when Jesus will separate his people and that his people will be gathered to himself. Like I said, the chaff will be burned in the unquenchable fire. And that's, that's heavy. That's hard. That's a hard thing to hear today. But I want us to hear, it's good news. It's good news because what Jesus is promising is that there is a day coming when he will bring true justice to the world. That he will fix things. That he will make them right. But it's hard news still. It's hard news to hear. And I think that this leads us to the difficulty of this passage and really just this whole idea of, of being the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And if you're like me, man, I feel so much pressure from this. Man, the pressure is on when I think about what the call is to, to be that voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Man, it feels like there's a lot of weight on my shoulders to make this message known, to make sure people respond well. I mean, what if I don't cry out well? Lord knows I won't. What, what if my life is such a wreck that I do not point Jesus, people to Jesus well? What if I don't say the right things? What if people don't respond the right way? It feels like there is a lot at stake here. Or maybe you're like me and, and the gaze starts to turn inward a little more. And you think... Have I repented enough? Have I repented enough because the the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Have I I done a good enough job responding to Jesus' call? Have I responded appropriately in repentance and faith? What I want to do is I want to read for us that passage in Isaiah again. 43 through 5. Pay attention to verses 4 and 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." I want you to notice here that even though the voice is calling for people to prepare the way of the Lord, there's some pretty dramatic stuff happening here at the end. You know, it says that every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. Rough terrain will be smoothed, and uneven land will be flat. And friends, this is not a picture of people working hard to prepare the way of the Lord, working so hard that they're filling in valleys and leveling mountains. This is a picture of a huge, miraculous overhaul of the world. 
What I'm saying is this, that the way of the Lord, the path to God, was not and will not be made straight by human hands. This is the Lord's work. In all the places that the path of God went through, say the, the valleys of depression or anxiety, the Lord raises those up and makes them traversable. And the, and the places where the path of God goes through, the hills and mountains of, of pride and arrogance, the Lord humbled them so that they could be crossed. And in all those ways where the, the rocky terrain of life made it hard to find the way to the Lord, he cleared that away and made a straight path to himself. And how did he do that? He walked the path himself. Friends, in Jesus, we have the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. In Jesus, we have the ultimate hope that the way to God has been made possible, not by human effort, We did not do a good enough job clearing the path for him. No, because Jesus himself came and cleared the path for us. And not only has he cleared the path to God, he himself has walked the path to God, of God to us, when he came to earth as a baby. And so whenever we're tempted to despair, thinking that these valleys or mountains in our lives are too much, or the valleys and mountains of the lives around us are too much, there's no clear path to or from God, I think we have to remember that Jesus is the one who has come to us, and that he made these paths straight, that he prepared the way of the Lord. And whenever we worry that we've not done enough to get to God, or we've not been good enough, that we haven't prepared the way well enough in our own hearts, we have to remember that Jesus, who has done the miraculous, has prepared that path for us. Whenever we think about those around us, we want to tell them the good news, that the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, and that in King Jesus... He has come to us. But we worry that we haven't done enough to make a path for them. We haven't done enough to prepare the way of the Lord for them. We can rest assured that Jesus himself is the one who has blazed the trail to them. We can be confident that it is not through our work, but through his, that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and that all flesh shall see it together, because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So friends, wherever we're at today, on this day after Christmas, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, or maybe you've heard the gospel for the first time recently, I think the message is clear. Jesus will return again one day. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. We celebrated this season of preparing for him and his first coming. And the, the, the expectation was always that we were looking ahead to the time when he will come again. And so the question is, how will we spend our time until he comes again? Will we respond to the call and follow him? Will we share the good news with those around us?
And this is a lot. I think this is, again, this is a lot. But I want to see that this is a picture of beauty. This is a beautiful thing that we've been called to and that we get to participate in. And if we keep going in Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11, we see a beautiful picture of what it looks like to do this. I'm going to read from the message version today because I think it really drives home the feeling that we're going for. I'm going to do a little adjustments. It says, Climb a high mountain, church. You're the preacher of good news. Raise your voice. Make it good and loud, vine and redeemer families. You're the preacher of good news. Speak loud and clear. Don't be timid. Tell the cities around us, look, your God, look at him. God, the master, comes in power, ready to go into action. He is going to pay back his enemies and reward those who have loved him. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. So family, the the picture is this. We know that Jesus is coming again. We know that he loves us. He's called us to repentance and to follow him. And now he's waiting for our response. So what will we do while we wait for Jesus to come again? In other words, now what? Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have that that you will come again. You came the first time as a baby born in a, in a stable, in a manger, and that you were the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, God with us. You humbled yourself to be born into a poor family in the middle of nowhere, that you lived a life, a perfect life for us. We thank you that you lived that life, that you died on our behalf, that you rose again so that we have hope for new life. We thank you that you promised that you would come again and bring us into your kingdom. We pray again with the church all throughout history, King Jesus, please come soon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.